time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. That's right. It's what you've been waiting on all weekend long. Monday's Vintage Truth Podcast. Hey, I'm Jeff Kinley, and I'm excited to be with you today. We've got uh, an exciting week ahead of us because we're talking about the resurrection because it is resurrection week. And uh, we want to talk about uh, some of the theories that people have attempted to use to try and disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to jump into that in just a second. But to begin with, first of all, I want to tell you that a lot of great things are happening. The Vintage Truth podcast, um, you know, it's very interesting how you can put something out like this and all of a sudden people start picking up on it and start subscribing and listening to it. I've had so many people tell me, I can't wait for your podcasts. And that's exciting. It's encouraging to me. In fact, right now, not only in America, but in some 15 to 16 different countries all across the world, people are checking out the Vintage Truth podcast. And, uh, you know, I, I spend time putting this stuff together with you uh, for you each week and very, very excited to do that. It's just a thrill for me to sit down at this microphone and to teach you God's Vintage Truth. I want to tell you a quick story, though, uh, on a way that you can begin to think about how you can help me get this thing out to more people. You know, there's a story I read about uh, that happened in 1978. It was a United Airlines flight 173. They were flying from JFK in New York to uh, Portland, Oregon. And um, as they were getting ready to land uh, in Oregon, the, the landing gear came down on the plane. And this big plane, it was like a DC-8 or whatever. And the pilot heard a strange noise that made him wonder if the landing gear was down and sure enough the landing gear had not come down what he did not know is that part of the landing gear had fallen off of the plane and they were unable to land but he didn't know that yet he just thought the landing gear had not come down so they put the plane in a holding pattern put the flaps down and just began to make these huge circular runs uh, around the airport could not figure out what was going on why the landing gear wasn't coming down that type of thing long story short as they were coming in for their final approach they ran out of gas they ran out of jet fuel and they crashed into a neighborhood there outside of portland oregon and i think some eight people were killed i think one of the pilots was, was even killed as well and it just brings up a point it's really kind of a natural easy point to make is that you know planes can't fly without fuel you know they can't stay airborne they can't remain in the air and uh, they even have trouble landing sometimes when there's no gas in the tank. There's no fuel in the tank. But you know, what is true about aircraft is also true about Christian ministries. Christian ministries require fuel in order to remain in the air so that they're not grounded and stationary so that they can get up in the air and get to their destination. They require fuel, and that fuel is in the form of financial support, or supplies that a ministry needs, and of course, of course, the incredible power of prayer. But you know what? You know, when you give to an organization or you even give to your church, you know, people say, well, I give to my church. You should give to your church. But watch this. What does that money do when you give that money to the church? Well, you may have some money that goes to missions or that buys Bibles or whatever, something that sounds really spiritual. You know where most of that money goes? It goes to pay for the staff who work at the church or for the facility, maybe a mortgage payment on your facility 
or to keep the maintenance of the facility, keep the facility up in the air running. And so your money, it's not like magic money that floats up to heaven. That money goes to buy toilet paper for the women's restroom. That money goes to pay the guy who mows the grass. It, it pays the salary of the guy who comes to work each day and helps out in the audiovisual department. It pays the pastor's salary. It means that he gets to buy socks for his kids and pizza on Friday nights for his children. I mean, it pays for so many mundane things. It puts gas in the church van. It puts another shingle on the roof. These are very ordinary mundane things, but they're necessary things that help keep ministry afloat. And what's true of churches is also true of other ministries like my ministry, like Main Thing Ministries. And right now we have a small handful of people who are supporting our ministry on a monthly basis. Uh, some people as, as low as $20, which, which may be a huge sacrifice for someone, which is fine. Every dollar counts. It's not the amount. It's the fact that people are investing into a ministry that they believe is doing something really significant for the kingdom of God. And that's what I desire to do, not just with the Vintage Truth podcast to keep these podcasts going, but also with my ministry at large as I travel around and I speak to churches. And in fact, I'll, I'll give you a little, little hint, a little background info here. I go to some churches that a lot of major authors and speakers would not go to. I love rural churches. I love small town churches. I love to go places where I can see people and eat dinner with them and shake their hand and talk with them and answer questions and that type of thing. Yeah, I do the big conference thing too, and that's it's really a lot of fun, but I also love to get to know people. And so when you support this ministry, you enable me to continue to do that kind of thing. So I am not ashamed at all to ask you to pray about giving to this ministry on a monthly basis. And it might be 20 bucks. It might be $50. It might be $150. I don't know. It depends on where you are in your life, and what God leads for you to do. But I would ask you to pray about that so that we can keep fuel into this engine here at Main Thing Ministries so that I can continue to to be freed up to produce these kinds of podcasts and the kinds of written materials and the kinds of things that God leads me to do. And there's so many dreams that we have, this equipment we need to buy. We'd, we'd like to, to really expand into a little bit more of video podcasting and that type of thing so that it's not just an audio thing as well. We can also do a, more of a YouTube channel that we've, uh, we've got the groundwork laid for but really haven't been able to uh, to really get off the ground with that. So anyway, lots of dreams, lots of cool things that, that uh, I'd like to do, but I want to challenge you to consider supporting that. Go to jeffkinley.com. There's a donate tab there. There's also a physical mailing address, or if you'd like to send me a email and just, hey, Jeff, how can we help? Or what do you need? Or, you know, what, what are your financial needs or whatever? We can tell you that uh, here at Main Thing Ministries. So, all right, let's move on. Let's talk about this week, this, this whole idea of resurrection week, and I'm calling this little two-part series this week, the emptiness of Christianity. And it kind of has a dual meaning because, you know, on the one hand, we claim that there's an empty tomb, that Jesus Christ is not in his tomb anymore, and he wasn't after three days. But there's also the emptiness of Christianity that some claim that Christianity is just an empty claim. <laughs> you know, it's just an empty boast because there was no Jesus. There was no resurrection. Christ didn't come back from the dead. That's that's a that's a fairy tale. You're just making this stuff up to make your to make yourself feel good about life and stuff. And so I want to talk about these two podcasts. I want to talk about first of all some of the objections against the resurrection or, or arguments against the resurrection. And these are absolutely 
classic. Here's some of the arguments. Here's argument number one. They say that Jesus Christ didn't really die on that cross. Jesus Christ didn't really die on that cross. Now, where do they get this idea from? Well, you know, the Muslims think that 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 Judas actually died on the cross in Jesus' place. There are other crazy uh, theories, but but some people say Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Where do they get that from? Well, first of all, let, let's see what the Bible says about that. Uh, first of all, the scripture itself says that Jesus died. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50 says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, uh, a.k.a. he died, right? Also, the Bible tells us in John 19 that the soldiers, the Roman soldiers who were attending the crucifixion, they, their job was to kill people, okay? They were professional executioners. So you say, well, well maybe they just forgot and left Jesus there. No, the Bible says that they plunged a spear up under his rib cage and outflowed blood and water, meaning his pericardial sac had exploded and it was a sure sign of death. Their job was to make sure there was no pulse on the guys that were hanging on that cross. And that's why the Bible says when they came to Jesus, after breaking the legs of the other guys, they found out that Christ was already dead. And so scripture says that he died. The soldiers say that he died. And of course, science says he died because of that bursted, uh, that burst pericardial sac around his heart. And then the centurion even said, that, that was standing there. He, he actually made the statement. He said uh, in, in Mark chapter 15, the Bible says that Pilate wondered if Christ was dead by this time. And he questioned the centurion. He summoned the centurion. He says he questioned him as to whether or not he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, then that's when, he, that's when Pilate granted the body of Jesus to Joseph of Arimathea. So in this lame attempt to disprove the resurrection, think about what Christ went through. He went through incredible beatings. I mean, Jesus was given the cat of nine tails. He was lashed with the cat of nine tails. And this whip had implements, had like an octopus, you know, these threaded, leather strips at the end of a whip, like a bullwhip, at the end of these things were pieces of bone and metal and glass so that when they lashed at him, it would, it would kind of wrap around and then hook into the flesh. And then they would jerk the bullwhip, this cat of nine tails thing, and it would just rip these ribbons of flesh off of his back. And, you know, he, he was beat even before that. And his, the crown of thorns pressed on his head, but he was beat. His, his beard, Isaiah 50 tells us, was plucked out. And these beatings combined with the, the lashing. In fact, many people died from the lashings of the cat of nine tails way before they even got to crucifixion. These Roman soldiers, have you ever seen the Passion of the Christ? Watch that scene where Christ is beaten. These guys are relished the idea of torturing people, especially Jews. And here Jesus Christ was the, quote, king of the Jews, right? And so they, they tortured Jesus Christ. And there must have been a significant blood loss 
even from that beating itself. So he was beaten. Uh, he was given the cat of nine tails. Then they they crucified him. They nailed nails through his hands, uh, through his wrists, actually. But through his wrists, nailing him to the cross, then they nailed another nail through his feet, both of his feet into that rough-hewn piece of, of wood. Think in your mind railroad tie, okay? And Christ in that moment lost all of his ability to, to breathe. And so he had to push up on his feet in order to fill his diaphragm, his lungs with air so that he could take in air. And then how long can you hold that, right? Because you can't support that on, on the nail that's through your feet or through your hands, your wrists. So you have to collapse back down again. And most people who were crucified died as a result of asphyxiation, of suffocating from lack of air. Because they, because of the loss of blood and because of the fact they no longer had the physical strength to push the weight of their body up on that nail because it was so incredibly painful. I mean, think about, you know, when you have like a splinter in your foot, you can't walk on that part of your foot, how painful that is. Think about if there was a nail in your foot. Think about if there was a giant nail through both of your ankles. And every nerve ending in Jesus Christ's body was screaming bloody murder he had no strength to push on that so the crucifixion itself would have killed him and then after that they plunged this spear up into his side and around his heart sack just exploded out with blood and with water and then they pronounced him dead and then they confirmed the death and then they took him down from the cross to make sure he was dead and then they gave his body so Christ was clearly, clearly dead. And then they wrapped him in cloth. They wrapped him in these ribbons of cloth, think, think like, 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 a, like a shroud, okay? And then they would wrap it with smaller ribbons of cloth, and then they would emb basically embalm the body, not internally, but, but they would put these ointments uh, and these spices and perfumes on top of the body. You know why? Because the body, decaying bodies stink, okay? So that's how they anointed his body. So he's wrapped up and he's put into the, the damp darkness of a cave and then a two-ton stone is rolled against it. But yeah, no, Jesus, he, he survived all that, right? Yeah, he's, he's alive, right? As if after all that, he could somehow jump up, hop over to the stone, knock the stone away, a two-ton stone, this little Jewish guy, right, who has been beaten beyond recognition, flayed open with a whip, crucified, a spear through his heart, and pronounced dead. But he can still, he still has the superhuman strength to knock over that, that rock, that boulder. And then presumably he just unties himself ties up the guards, the Roman centurion, the, the SEAL Team 6 centurion force that was put at the tomb. He ties them up with his, with his, you know, his bedclothes, his grave clothes. And then he just walks off saying, I'm alive. He's, he's healed, right? That's the fairy tale right there. 
No, no, Jesus did really die. Here's a second argument. We'll do two of these arguments today. Is that the disciples stole the body. Now, what's wrong with this argument to say, oh, the disciples stole the body and then went and proclaimed that Jesus Christ was alive? Now, what's wrong with this theory? Well, first of all, Jesus said in, in Mark 14, 27, he said, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the, sheep, the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So what was the response of the disciples after Jesus Christ was arrested? Well, it says in, in verse 50, of Mark 14 says they all left him and fled. They, they ran away. The disciples were scared spitless. They were shaking in their sandals. They, you understand, they're in a culture. This, these, these are the SS soldiers, okay? The Roman guards, centurions. These guys walked through the streets of Jerusalem with these, these carry these birch rods, these Oh, what do you call them today? You know, the, the big sticks that, that some police carry, you know, that they used to knock people on the head with, they carried those things and just randomly would just beat people on the head with them. And they were the SS guards of their day. These people were scared to death of the Roman government. And so they're not about to just the 12 disciples. Oh, that's it. They're going to take on the authorities there in Jerusalem and the Roman guard that's been given that city. Yeah, they're going to take them on, right? No, they were scared to death. And the Bible says they went and hid. They're in hiding. They're shaking. They're afraid for their lives. If they can arrest Jesus and beat him and crucify him, what are they going to do to me? I'm a fisherman. I never even did any miracles. I didn't, I didn't walk on water or anything. All I did was catch fish and say, hey, that's Jesus. He's the Christ. What are they going to do to me? So all the disciples are scared and in hiding. So the disciples stole the body. Are you kidding me? And here's another thing. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 31, listen to this. The disciples didn't even know Jesus was going to rise from the dead. In Mark 9, 31, it says this. It says, for he was telling his disciples, the son of man will be delivered in the hands of men. And they, will be, they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later, verse 32. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. So in order for you to steal the, the body of Jesus, you have to have an idea that Jesus was supposed to come back again. They, they didn't even have that expectation, okay? And besides, they were too afraid. Even if they expected him to come back, they wouldn't know how to do it. How are a few fishermen a few disciples supposed to overcome an elite Roman guard, up to 16 soldiers, perhaps four, perhaps 16 of these trained military machines standing guard at the tomb of Jesus Christ. But yeah, yeah, the disciples stole the body. That's it. Here's another theory. They proclaimed Jesus as being alive because they went to the wrong tomb and found it empty and said, oh, well, you must be alive. Well, here's what that means. That means that Mary went to the wrong tomb that means that, that Peter and John went to the wrong tomb. It means that the angels went to the wrong tomb because they were standing over an empty tomb. It, I mean, why didn't the Sanhedrin and the Romans just go, hey, guys, over here, he's still here. Why didn't they do that? And if anybody had any doubts, why didn't they just ask Joseph of Arimathea? Hey, Joseph, where's your family tomb? Oh, it's over there, the one with the giant rock in front of it, the one with the rotting corpse inside. 
Okay, that's the one. Yeah, okay, good. He's still in there, guys. Your Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But guess what? None of that happened. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the tomb was empty. So did Jesus really die? You bet he did. Did the disciples steal his body? Are you kidding me? And did they go to the wrong tomb? Not possible. Hey, there's two more arguments against the resurrection we're going to talk about next time. And we'll tackle those on Friday. Have a great resurrection week. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.